Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. Well, sometimes if you um, aren't prayerful enough in your sermon series planning, you end up interrupting your sermon series to do a sermon series on why you should be more prayerful. Um, So I think uh, that is uh, the case for me. Uh, This Sunday I've been in the middle of, uh, started a series where we're really wanting to look through uh, the the moments of Jesus' life between uh, his time in the upper room and his walk to the cross. And there's so many important stories there from his trial and uh, his his arrest and uh, everything that happened in that space, but uh, in just study and prepping this week for uh, looking at the story of the Garden of Gethsemane, I've gotten absolutely stuck there uh, and come into a place of feeling absolutely convicted that there's something that we as a church need to learn about prayer in this moment. So I think we're going to spend a week or two in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just want to warn you about that little change in plans. In fact, this message uh, gets us through uh, the first half of the first verse in our text. Because uh, there's just something really rich uh, in the story and in its context and in the definition of prayer from the words that Jesus is using. You know, there's a million things that we need to bring to prayer uh, in this moment. Uh, we've come through wrestling for unity and we have more wrestling to do both in our community and in our country. Uh, We need to process fears that we've uh, faced through the pandemic. Uh, Many have wrestled with isolation and loneliness and mental illness. There are those who've wrestled with sickness. There are those who've had COVID uh, itself and who have had uh, difficult challenges. Some of us know people, I know three friends uh, from college in the States Uh, who actually died of COVID. Uh, Some of us know people who have died, so there's that wrestling there. Um, On top of that, that, uh, there are others that we love who pass away for other reasons, and and we're wrestling with grief. Uh, There are questions about how the church is to sort of proceed in this moment as we emerge from the pandemic and as we uh, emerge in the midst of a crazy cultural shift that is happening in the society around us. We're taking that to prayer. Uh, And of course, we're praying uh, for the Ukraine and Russia and Haiti. Uh, You know, we think of of all the efforts we're making to help people in, in the Ukraine. Haiti is still reeling from the effects of an earthquake that they experienced months and months ago. There, there are lots of things going on in the world. There's, there's a fighting in Ethiopia. There's a tension in Taiwan, and there are many other places of conflict in the world. And so this is something that we need to grow in corporately as a body when we think of prayer. We as a church community gathered all together. We need to grow in that. In Acts 2, early Christians are gathering everywhere they can. They're in synagogues. Uh, They're meeting in public places like Solomon's Colonnade. They're meeting in the temples. They're meeting in homes. And it says they met, this is in Acts 2, they met to uh, devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. There's a question for us corporately, are we devoted to prayer? Is there any chance that we might be risking it just being a segue between songs? 
You know, there's something in there for us. There's something more for us in terms of corporate prayer. But it's also something that we wrestle with at a really, really personal level. It's something that we wrestle with deeply as individuals. Uh, Some of us who are new in our journey uh, don't know we can pray, don't know how to pray, don't know what words to use. Uh, We sometimes don't want to admit our need We don't want to come to him in a vulnerable way. Uh, We don't know uh, that we might be heard even sometimes by God. Some of us who are Christian consumers, we're completely content with our lives and we never think to pray. Uh, Some of us are caught up in a materialistic pattern. Uh, We think in purely practical terms. We think about what we can do and what actions we can take and we don't think to go through God and prayer to get results to see things change, or to have our hearts transformed. Uh, Sometimes we feel unworthy or guilty and don't know that we can approach God in prayer. What's the right attitude of my heart? What's the right posture? What words do I use? Um, Some of us have unanswered prayers in our rearview mirrors. We've prayed and prayed for things to happen, for loved ones that we care about to be healed or to be delivered, and we've seen them uh, pass away and get sick, and we are, some of us, angry at God because we feel like our prayers haven't been answered. And some of us uh, walk with a personal sense of failure when it comes to prayer. We've just tried to pray and tried to pray and can barely focus, can barely bring our attention away from our devices, can barely keep our hearts engaged in speaking words to God for longer than two or three minutes and and walk with sometimes a deep sense of failure. I think that's my experience sometimes. All of these things, um, when we think of prayer, it's, it, it's almost like the, the image that I have for where we're at as a church and sometimes where we're at as individuals, it's like you're sitting in the cockpit of a, of a, of a massive uh, jumbo jet and the thing is fueled and it has powerful engines and it, it is at the end of the runway and it wants to go. But for many of us, we're sitting in the cockpit and we don't sort of know what buttons to press. We don't know how to operate the thing and we're tentative and nervous and we don't know what we're doing, yet we're strapped to the most amazing and powerful thing that we could experience in our lives. There's more for us as people when it comes to prayer. And so as we walk through this story and look at some of the definition, uh, some of the context of the story of Jesus walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, we want to look at this incredible prayer time and just see in Jesus' prayer life some answers to some of these questions. See in Jesus' prayer life uh, an answer to some of these struggles that we have. First thing I want us to do is just take something away uh, from, from the Greek word that's used for prayer in the text, from the definition. And now prayer is something that has been written about and talked about uh, for, for centuries, and there are some incredibly beautiful and rich definitions of prayer. But what we want to do is just look in the text to see what is really fundamental there, what is really at the ground floor of what it means to pray. What did Jesus' disciples hear when Jesus used that word? And what do we hear through their ears? What do we hear? What did Jesus mean in that moment? That's how we get the meaning out of the text. And and from that meaning, I think one of the questions that's going to be answered for us a little bit is the question of our just simple struggle with focus, our our struggle with our ability to feel like we as people 
at a fundamental level can connect with God. We have this teensy-weensy problem of him being invisible. Wouldn't it be a little bit better if, uh, if, if you could really, I mean, see him face-to-face and make an appointment and have a cup of coffee? Uh, for us, most of the time, it feels like we're kind of sending a broadcast out there. We're uh, making a post on social media, and we don't know if God's going to like it or not, right? Our, our, our prayers are kind of diffuse and kind of uh, out there. Uh, we don't know how much they're going to connect. We have images in our culture of him being like the force, or people are often on Facebook, or, or maybe some of your friends are saying, you know, the universe. I, I feel like I'm really connected with the universe today. The image of who God is is something really big and broad and undefined. Even though we'd never say that uh, theologically, when we say we're praying very often to us, it feels like we're making a wish. Do you remember as a kid throwing a coin into a wishing well? Or I remember making a wish uh, when you blow out your candles on your birthday cake. Um, When you take a prayer and you sort of, it's like throwing a hope out into the universe and hoping something maybe connects and something maybe happens. And if we're honest about our own prayer lives, very often our prayer lives are like that. Our prayer lives are like, oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Even our body language, right, is pointing up and out and like hoping it's going to aim at something up there, out there. The Greek word for pray is a word uh, that's pronounced prosukomai. It's a compound word uh, with two elements to it. The first uh, part of the word is towards or targeted or aimed or oriented. And the second part is wish. But I'll explain that wish is something a little bit different than what we think of when we think of wish. Uh, The word for prayer uh, used in that New Testament, that first part of the word pro, uh, is um, something that reflects a sense that we know where we're praying. We know where it's going, and in the Christian sense of what prayer is, uh, prayer is actually, of course, targeted to a person. It's targeted to the person of Jesus. It's targeted to an individual. Uh, It's not broadcast in all directions. There is only, in fact, one person through whom we can pray, and that's Jesus Christ, right? Prayer is not prayer to a multiplicity of gods or prayer uh, to the universe. Prayer for us as humans is directed, is targeted to a person. Uh, You know, high bandwidth uh, communications Um, Sometimes we see that done by a satellite. Some of you have satellite dishes on your homes, and you see this parabolic dish uh, that's designed to broadcast a little bit of data to the satellite, and it sort of spreads it out there to get wherever the satellite is, and there's a broadcast from the satellite that's a broadband uh, broadcast, and your satellite can sort of gather up that signal, point it into the receiver, and somehow get it there. And that's a fairly relatively, in terms of data transmission, a low broadband way, a low uh, data density way of, of making a connection. What's, what's a better illustration of what Christian prayer is meant to be is 
through laser technology and, and you know that some telecommunications happens through the transmission of light through a laser beam that is specifically targeted and aimed towards a geosynchronous satellite and the ability to transmit data and make a connection uh, through that satellite through something as precise and tight and defined as a laser signal is probably a better uh, definition, a better illustration of what prayer is meant to be for us. If you can imagine in your mind and imagine in your heart when you pray that you are praying to a specific person in a specific way and that he wants to connect with you. He wants more data downloaded to you than you can imagine with more clarity and more precision and more intimacy and more closeness. We need to take as people our, our vision, our image of what prayer is and imagine it targeted. Uh, one of the things that I started doing as I, as I started feeling convicted about this just in the last several days is before I pray, I've just been simply reading a section of the Gospels, reading uh, two or three chapters of the book of John that really show Jesus and show who he is. So that in my mind's eye as I'm praying, I realize I'm praying to this incredible person, Jesus who lived and walked on the earth, what he said about himself is, when you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And so we pray. If you want to know what the Father looks like, if you want to know what his heart is like, if you want to know what the person you're talking to is like, if you want your prayer to be aimed and targeted and directed and to be a higher data density connection with him, you have to pray. We have to pray and see the face of Jesus to pray and see him. And in that, there's a greater intimacy for us. There's a, a greater closeness when we pray to this person, Jesus. And that second word, eukomai, pro-eukomai, that word that we just sort of see often translated as wish, uh, it's a word that Paul uses on its own. He uses the word eukomai in Greek when he is speaking to people in various churches. He sometimes say, says, I wish you would do this. Now, when Paul is saying that, I wish you would, he, he's not making a demand or a command. We can't demand or command God. We can't come to God with that kind of wish. But when the Apostle Paul uses that word eukomai, you know that he's also not using it like coin into a wishing well. He is offering uh, his counsel with the expectation that to some degree it will be received, to some degree it will be heard, to some degree it will affect the heart of the listener, and that it will make a difference. And so that's the other thing that we take away from this definition, is that you can pray probably with more expectation, both of uh, God hearing your heart and you hearing his heart and being transformed through uh, the work of prayer than you probably have now. We can raise our sense of expectation because God, uh, Jesus prayed that way. Prayer for us is a specifically articulated expression of desire targeted towards a person who may or may not fulfill it, but uh, according to his will, but it can be specifically targeted to that person with some relatively significant expectation that as a result of those prayers, a connection will be made and something will happen. There's much more hope in prayer than I think we've thought before.
And then there's another implication to this idea that, that's important to us, and, and it's just a really basic, basic thing. But if you've ever prayed a prayer, even if you've ever said something to the universe or to the force, or if you've even aimed anything out there anywhere, and this is for those of you who, who maybe haven't called yourselves Christians yet, or maybe you've just been walking through life and you've had something bad happen and you've just said in your heart, oh God, I hope you can help. You've done something really significant in that. You've said, ultimately, that at a fundamental level, one, you have a need that you cannot satisfy within yourself. There is a fundamental humility in that that's really important for us. And secondarily, you've said that there must be someone out there who can meet that need. Even the faintest glimmer of a prayer in your heart is an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God. It's an acknowledgement that there is somebody there who is good and mighty and maybe can make a difference. And if you've done that in your heart at all, you have an instinctive thing that is wired inside of you that you need to notice that knows deep down whether you might call yourself an atheist or not. Something in you knows deep down that you are a creature and there is a creator. And that's a really good starting point for your journey. That God can be prayed to. If you've ever prayed at all, you've unconsciously uh, expressed the words of Charles Spurgeon, who says this, cheer up, things are not left to chance. No blind fate rules the world. God moves with purpose and that purpose is fulfilled. God hath plans, and those plans are wise. God hath plans, and those plans are wise. And you're connecting with a God who is good. So if you are really new to Christianity, really new to this thing, start with that place of acknowledging that there might be someone out there and admitting that your heart knows that. And then go deeper. Let it be more refined. Let it become more precise. So as we go into the text to wrestle with some of these questions uh, about prayer, we want to learn from this personal God, and we want to learn through what we hope will be some kind of high-density data transmission uh, between him and us, some kind of rich and deep connection. So before we read the scriptures... Maybe we should pray. Let's do that. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. As we begin to dig into this text and, and just take some things from the story of Jesus as he walked through uh, the Garden of Gethsemane moment, would you let this impact our hearts? Would you let this convict us and encourage us and build us up and show us that there is more for us in relationship with you than we have experienced before? Let the word of God dwell in us and transform us and make us new. Let us come and sit at your feet and learn from you. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is the book of Matthew, um, chapter 26, 36 to 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See the hours at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. First thing we want to take from the context of this incredible story of prayer, Jesus' interaction with his disciples, we see in the book of John that the intensity of this is such that he actually prays in a way that he is literally sweating and praying uh, blood out of his body through his pores. Uh, there's an intensity here, and I think this addresses uh, one of our fears one of our fears as we pray is that the God we're talking to is so different, so big, so foreign to us, so distant, so uh, unemotional, so much like some kind of supercomputer in the sky uh, that we don't imagine that he could possibly identify with and enter into the things that we are wrestling with and the things that we are feeling. Uh, we imagine that the things we feel, the struggles that we have, sometimes are just small and petty to him, and he is above them, and he doesn't see them, he doesn't notice them, he can't relate to them, he can't connect with them. But as we look at uh, the scripture and we look at this account of Jesus praying and we look at the context of it, the moments leading up to it, um, we know that Jesus knows obviously what it is to suffer as a human being, to suffer in the world. Uh, in verse 26, 25, uh, we see that he knows that Judas has already betrayed him. This person that he's walked with for three years has, has sold him out, has betrayed him. He knows that he's just a few hours from his arrest that's going to happen. We just read it in verse 46. Uh, he's the maker and creator of the world and the judge of all and he is about to go under trial, a brutal and unfair trial. Not only one trial, but four trials. 
in different places with different leaders, different levels of humiliation for the judge of all the world to himself be judged by the people he created. Uh, he knows the anger of the Jewish leadership, uh, that he's about to be totally and utterly rejected by them and rejected by the people that he came to save. In just moments, they're going to be uh, yelling after his trial. They're going to be choosing uh, another person to be set free other than him. They're going to be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. The people that he came to save are being crying for his death, and he knows what Roman soldiers do to prisoners. He knows what they do. He knows he's about to be whipped. He knows he's about to be tormented. He knows he's about to be spat on and stripped naked. And again, humiliated. And he knows how Romans execute people that are going to be charged with what he's about to be charged with. Jesus walks into the Garden of Gethsemane. He walks into prayer as one who knows he needs to pray. He knows that body, soul, and spirit, he's going to endure uh, literally torture on every level. Physically, he knows his body's about to endure the most excruciating moments a body can experience. Emotionally, as man and God, he's about to endure a shaming and rejection and the abandonment and betrayal of an intimate friend, and that betrayal is going to be marked with a kiss. And spiritually, he's about to endure the weight of the world on his shoulders, the weight of the sin of every single believer who has ever existed and who will ever exist. is about to be weighed on his shoulders as his hands carry him by nails driven through them into the rough wood of the cross. In Matthew 27, 26, he's going to cry out the words of Psalm 22, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus can identify with your need. The creator of the world has descended into the world. Uh, to a depth of suffering and a depth of pain that none of us will ever face in our lives, as brutal as it might be for us, and as much pain as we might feel in our suffering. He has suffered more. He knows your pain. He knows your griefs. He knows your struggle. It's not... Your struggle is not too small for him. He can hear you. And you can trust that the ears that hear you are ears of compassion. In Hebrews chapter 4, 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tested as we are who in every respect has been tested as we are. The word sympathy, that word sympotheo in the Greek, means with feeling. He has felt it with you. He has felt it with you. So if your prayer is in any way sterile, if your prayer is in any way formal, if your prayer life is in any way dressed up, 
and somehow prettied up for him. You don't need to pretty up your prayers for the Savior who sweat blood and wept in the Garden of Gethsemane for you. And he hears you through sympathetic, with feeling ears, with compassion, because he loves you. I want to just pray into that for a moment. Father, I pray for us uh, as people that as we, as we hear this, that this would become uh, uh, something that would embolden us to pray with deeper honesty and deeper transparency and, and deeper willingness to expose ourselves before you. Would you help break down our formality, our, our need to be perfect, our need to be strong, in prayer, would we be able to come to you as people vulnerable to trust that you hear with compassion? Would you let our prayer lives uh, be more honest than they have been? Help us, Lord, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovchurch.ca.